The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. We are now going to talk about mindfulness for teachers, and that's the name of the book, Simple Skills for Peace and Productivity in the Classroom. My guest is Patricia A. Jennings. She's an MED and PhD, and we call her Tish. She's an internationally recognized leader in the fields of social and emotional learning and mindfulness and education with a specific emphasis on teacher stress and how it impacts the social and emotional content of the classroom and student well-being and learning. She's an associate professor of education at the Curry School of Education at the University of Virginia. And I want to tell you that mindfulness teaching, which Tish Jennings teaches, has found an advocate in actress, comedian Goldie Hawn, who's expressed interest in this book. Patricia was a consultant for Goldie's Project Mind Up, a neuroscience-based training program that teaches students how mindfulness can lead to more academic success while fostering empathy and kindness. And Tish's work has also been endorsed by Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. Welcome, Tish Jennings. Thank you, Patricia. It's great to be here. Yeah, what a, what wonderful um, honors you had, you know, in terms of recognition for this work. Well, I've been very fortunate to have wonderful opportunities to do what I'm doing now. Um, but I've been doing this for a long time, kind of in the in the background. And now that this kind of work is on the main in the mainstream, it's been really exciting because I'm I, I find myself at the forefront. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, one of the things I think, let's, for, before I, I talk about emotions, let's talk about what mindfulness really is. How would you define it? Well, I like to use John Kabat-Zinn's um, definition. He's the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction, and he defines it as paying attention in the present moment, and he uses the word non-judgmentally, um, and I like to use, I like to sort of... Um, clarify that by saying it's, it's paying attention uh, with kindness and compassion to yourself. So it's noticing what's happening in, in a given moment, and it's also allowing a sense of curiosity about what's happening. Now, mindfulness can be a practice where you sit and you practice, um, like, meditation, um, or it can be a state of awareness that people can have while they're doing anything in particular. So, um, you know, so there's a lot of variety in terms of how we might think about mindfulness. Yeah. Well, and, and I think awareness is so difficult, particularly for kids in our hyperactive society. You know, one minute they're on the computer, or as they get older, they're looking at cell phones. And just to sit quietly and really focus, I think it's a challenge for children. What would you say? 
Oh, and I think teachers. it's getting more and more so, given all the media that children are exposed to today. And um, not only them, but their parents who are modeling the same behaviors. For example, I was at an airport recently, and I saw a mother of a toddler um, on her phone texting while her little boy was looking out at the airplane, very excited. And he was having one of those moments of really seeing something he had never seen before, a two, you know, a toddler excited about yeah. an airplane. And the mother completely missed that moment in her child's yeah. life. And yeah. what, what message is that giving our children when we don't even pay attention to what's interesting to them? And we think our phone is more important than what they're seeing as important. So yeah. I, I think we have a problem here. Yeah, so true. What is your own powerful personal story as to why you brought mindfulness into your own life? Well, um, as a child, um, I had a string of traumas that I in my life, and um, as a teenager, um, I was floundering. I didn't at, at the time nobody was paying attention to what might be going on for me, and so I uh, had to look for ways to heal myself. And I happened to be um, exposed to a Zen meditation teacher um, right out of high school. Uh, and started practicing Zen, and then I became um, more aware of, of all the different kinds of mindfulness activities that were going on. Um, this was in the 70s, uh, early 70s, and so I started reading a lot of books. I started thinking about this work, and ever since then, I've been practicing some form of um, contemplative practice, mindfulness, meditation, um, yoga, you know, Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I've been doing this work for years. I've interviewed thousands of people. And I find the same thing for probably 70 or 80% of people like yourself who are experts. They do what I did. We teach others what we need to learn most for ourselves. They've been through it, and that's why they become an expert at it, to solve it for themselves so then they can help thousands of other people. Yeah, and it took me a long time to figure out that that, that, that's what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, in retrospect, it all looks like it makes a lot of sense, but at the time, it it didn't really, I didn't see it that way, but uh, I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity and that it did help me quite a bit, helped me resolve a lot of the issues around the trauma. Yes, yeah. What is your response to people who will argue with you that, you know, teachers need to be teaching more academic work and not dealing with feelings as much with children and attitudes? Well, I think we um, need to really face the fact that many of our children in our public schools today are coming to school um, with some problems that are making it difficult to learn. For example, 50%, more than 50% of American children in school today are living in poverty. 60% Mm. of children in America today are exposed to trauma. Yeah. And when you have, uh, when you're a child and you're exposed to poverty and trauma and not, and it's not just low socioeconomic status. It's, there are families at all um, economic levels that are, that are having trauma in their lives and stress. And what this does to children's minds is <clears throat> it puts their brains on high alert. It activates their fight, flight, and freeze response. Right, exactly. Uh, like an alarm system. And when you're, we know now about the brain, when your brain is engaged that way, it, the part of the brain that's involved in higher order learning, like, being able to do a complicated math problem, that is a low priority when you're feeling threatened. You know, when you feel like your life is threatened, um, long division is really low on your priorities, you know? So 
what we now know is that teachers can make a huge difference in these children's lives by simply giving them a sense of feeling safe at school, feeling mm. cared about at school, feeling like they're part of a community and that they have something to contribute to that community. Yeah, let um, me ask you, you said in your statistic, you said 50 to 60% are living in poverty? More, it was the, the latest statistic was 50, 51% of children are living in poverty. That's amazing. 60%. 60% of children in the United States in, in the public schools have been exposed to tra- a traumatic event. That's, That's more amazing. than 50%. <clears throat> yeah, it, mm. it's, it's quite quite a serious problem that we're facing. And and teachers are, are having to work with kids with this going on in the background. Um, and it's a real challenge. So um, one of the reasons I wrote this book was that teachers haven't been given the skills uh, to manage their own emotions in response to the, the, the issues that these children bring to school. Because you can imagine that if you're trying to teach a class and you have students, if you have 50% of the students in your classroom that are distracted because they're afraid or they're uh, feeling threatened or, they're, or they're, they don't have what they need to, to um, bring their minds into the classroom fully, um, you know, it, it, it can be frustrating. You can feel... Um, sometimes, like, their behaviors are intentionally directed at you, like they're trying to make your day difficult, and it creates stress for the teacher. And the book, I was, the reason I wrote the book was to help teachers understand that when we get frustrated, when, when our emotions are provoked like that, it distorts our perceptions, and mindfulness can really help us recognize that that's what's yeah. happening. It can help yeah, us absolutely. calm down. It can help us look at what's really happening and be... Um, present with our students rather than reactive to them. All right, so here's another question. If a student isn't interested in a subject or the way the teacher is teaching it or presenting it, can these mindfulness practices help in those cases? I think the way they can help, they can help the teacher by giving them uh, a broader range of possibilities to access. Uh, one of the things we now know also about emotions is when we get frustrated, our, our ability to see possibilities narrows. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, in fact, our visual perception narrows. So when you're dealing with a frustration, a frustrating situation, it's easy to get trapped into thinking there's, there's only one way to do this and you got to do it my way. And if you can take a breath and calm down and start looking at what's happening, you might all of a sudden see oh, I'm just not explaining this the way this student needs, or, oh, maybe, maybe we can go about this a different way, or maybe I can give them a little break. Maybe there's something going on with them right just in this moment that makes it hard for them to do this. Maybe we can wait, you know. But um, when you're trapped in, a, in an emotional re- reactive state, you don't think of those things. You only think, oh, i got to get this done. i got to get it done now. They're not of cooperating. Course. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think in that sense, it helps the the, children, the teacher. I think it can also help the students because often we also know that, that students can have re- resistance to subject matter based on trauma. So, like, for example, one of, one of my areas of academic trauma was math. That may be why mm. I said long division is <laughs> something that you don't mm. have. You know, that my trauma definitely affected my ability to do math, and... Um, if, if a teacher got very um, harsh with me about finishing something that I did not understand, it would be it would just re-traumatize me. It would paralyze me. Mm-hmm. So for a child to learn, okay, I know this is hard, this is difficult. If I take a few breaths, if I calm down, 
if I give myself a little bit of time, I can do this. You know, I just need to calm myself down because I have a resistance to it. All right. So, All right. This can be helpful, too. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to come back um, and talk to Tish Jennings, author of Mindfulness for Teachers, Simple Skills for Peace and Productivity in the Classroom. We're going to talk about science. Is there science to quantify the outcomes of being mindful? We're also going to talk about examples of mindfulness in the classroom. And, uh, and, and really, where are we with mindfulness and helping students to grow? You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. I'm Patricia Raskin right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll take a break. We'll be right back after the break. Stay tuned. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Patricia Raskin. My guest is Patricia A. Jennings. She's the author of Mindfulness for Teachers, Simple Skills for Peace and Productivity in the Classroom. Patricia Jennings... MED, PhD, is an Associate Professor of Education at the University of Virginia. She is an internationally recognized leader in the field of mindfulness in education. Her current research focuses on mindfulness-based approaches to improving the social and emotional classroom context and student learning. Welcome back, Tish. Thank All right, you. Let's, Great let's start here. talking. Good. It's fun. Let's start talking a little bit about... Um, the science behind all of this. And so the, the question is, is it possible for science to quantify the outcomes of mindfulness? And how has your, have you, you know, how has becoming a scientist for you furthered your own belief mm-hmm. in mindfulness? Mm-hmm. It's, I, I think it's, it's challenging to quantify mindfulness 
Um, what we can do and what I have been doing is looking at the desirable outcomes that we hope that we're achieving by improving someone's ability to be present and, and aware and less judgmental. Um, there are self-report measures of mindfulness that are, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether or not they're actually measuring what we're saying that they're measuring. But mm-hmm. I have been able to show um, improvements in teachers' well-being uh, using other measures, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, well-standardized measures of that. I've been able to show improvements in teachers' perception of time, uh, feeling less time pressure. Um, I've been able to, to show that, um, you know, a mindfulness-based program that I, that I developed with my colleagues called Care for Teachers um, has been able to also improve teachers' ability to self-regulate their emotions. But the most exciting um, research that we have going on right now is taking place in New York City uh, with 224 teachers, uh, elementary teachers, and 5,000 of their students. And we have just, we're just about to submit a paper uh, to a journal um, showing that not only did we improve the teachers' um, outcomes that, we, that I just described, but we're, we're also showing that with these teachers' classrooms improved. And this is a, we observed the teachers' classrooms. Um, we had re- researchers going in. They didn't know anything about what our study was about, so they were blind to the study. They rated the teachers' classroom quality, and we showed that the CARE program improved teachers' classrooms in several different ways. Their um, emotional supportiveness, so the teachers showed much better support and sensitivity to their students emotionally, and we also showed that the students were more productive in their classrooms. So this is pretty Mm -hmm. exciting because no one's ever been able to show that by improving teachers' well-being, you improve the classroom. And And you measured that, you measured that by just tracking the results. By observing, um, by observing the classroom using a, a measure where we code um, the quality of the classroom, it's, it's a measure that was developed by the dean of the Curry School called the CLASS, and it's been used all over the place. In fact, Head Start has adopted it for their primary measure of classroom quality, and so it's been very well, um, well validated. So we, what we did was we looked at their classrooms before the training. We randomly assigned the group from, you know, half of them got the CARE program, Half of them were in the waitlist control. And then after the care program, we looked at their classrooms again, and we showed that after the tra- care training, those teachers that were in care were, were better. Their classrooms were better than the other group significantly. So mm-hmm. that, that's a really exciting. Now, we also have all this data from their students, and we haven't even started looking at that yet. So when we see, if we can see, that these changes in the classroom also improve student outcomes, that will be very exciting. Yeah, I think it's it's really good. We have a few minutes left. Let's talk about the kinds of skills <coughs> that a teacher needs to teach mindfulness. Do they need meditation skills? Do they uh, what, what are the, do they need to take yoga? I mean, what do they need? You know, there's a big debate going on about that right now, and it, and it really is an empirical question that we really need to test. I, my gut tells me that. It, if a person has a, their own practice, mindfulness or yoga or whatever it is, it will definitely improve their ability to present the, the, um, the activities to their students, primarily because they will be able to model for their students. When I was teaching, I found that my own mindfulness, my own state of mindfulness, had a very powerful effect on my students, and it it's like a scaffolding it for them. So... If I would just sit there and try to do it with them without knowing what I was doing, 
I think I don't think it would have the same impact as it would if I, which I had been practicing actually myself while I was working with them, while I was teaching them. So I wasn't just pretending I was practicing. I was really practicing with them. And I, I think that made a big difference. So even though we don't know for sure that this is the case, it's my sort of gut feeling and from my own experience that I think my own practice definitely helped me be better at, at teaching students mindfulness. Mm, I think that's really important. Can you mindfulness, I, I just want to ask you, can, okay, but I do want to ask you if, if mindfulness can help with disruptive kids, you know, the ones that are angry and disruptive, but go ahead and, and tell us what you were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say, it also, also when a teacher practices regularly, he or she can notice ways to bring mindfulness into the curriculum. So that mindfulness isn't an extracurricular activity, it becomes a way of teaching, and um, I could say more about that, but it might take longer. But, I, but to address your other question, uh, there is some evidence that children, especially children with attention problems, yes. can, um, there's some uh, early evidence that it might be helpful to students who are having attention problems. So mm-hmm. depending on how it's introduced to them, I do think that it can be helpful. You give an example in your book of mindfulness working in the classroom about a high school English teacher who was one of your at one of your workshops. Explain that. Yes. Oh, this is a great story. Uh, She was a new teacher. I think it was either first or second year. Uh, She was teaching freshman English in a very um, uh, demanding prep school. And uh, she came to class. This was before the Christmas break. And and she came in with a plan and a lesson to teach uh, subjunctive clauses. And when she told them that this is what they were going to learn, they all started to moan and groan and complain, and they were giving her all kinds of grief. And her, because of her personality, she was a very kind of timid, nervous person. She, she got really anxious. But after having been in my workshop, she brought her mindful awareness to how her body was feeling, and she just really noticed, wow, I am feeling anxious. And she really looked at what is anxious. Wow, this is very strong. And then she started taking some deep breaths, which we know can help calm down this, this fear or anxiety reaction. And she calmed down. And then she started becoming curious about her students and their emotions. And she recognized how strong they were. And so she started a dialogue with them and said, well, tell me more about this. What is it about it that you hate? Why? You know? And after a little while, she had an idea. And she said, okay. Um, we're going to do something really different. I want you to write a poem about why you hate grammar. But there's two rules to these poems. You can't use the word hate because it's just too inarticulate. And mm-hmm. you guys need to be more, you need to use mm-hmm. more creative words. And number right. two, you have to have a subjunctive clause in your poem. Well, if you I don't know it. what that is, I'm right. happy to tell right. you. <laughs> All right. We're, this is fabulous. We're going to have to close, but what a great story. And there are more of those stories in this wonderful book, Mindfulness for Teachers, Simple Skills for Peace and Productivity in the Classroom by Patricia A. Jennings. Patricia, it's been a joy. How can people find the book? Um, they can find it on Amazon, it's t- uh, Mindfulness for Teachers. Um, they can also go to my website, tishjennings.com, and um, those are probably the most two ways to find it. And I bet that teacher turned those kids around. I bet that they like the subjunctive clauses after all. <laughs> well, she had some great poems that came out of that assignment. Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that great? Thanks so much. Stay on the line. And um, it's really been a joy to have you on. Mindfulness for Thank Teachers. You. Tish Jennings. All right, folks. Uh, that wraps up this hour. 
Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com. I would love to hear from you. I have other programs and would love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for The Patricia Raskin Show. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.